Praise the Lord, everyone. Hallelujah. Let's go to the Lord and let's pray this morning and ask the Lord to have his way concerning this day for what it means and for every bit of ministry that I take forth today. Let's ask God that to anoint us and touch us and we don't take it for granted. We need his anointing. So let's pray. God of heaven, we love you today. Father, we thank you. We thank you for what we're about to embark on, Lord God. We need your anointing. We need your guidance. We thank you, God, right now. We praise you for who you are, for your holy anointing and your guidance. Touch us this day, God. Anoint us. Anoint our hands, Lord God, our feet, Lord Jesus. I pray that you will, Lord God, and your way would be performed in each and every one of us, Lord God. Touch us, God. Anoint those out back, God. Anoint our Sunday school, Lord God. Every bit of ministry, God, I pray. Have your way. Touch this day, Lord Jesus, I pray. We will thank you for it in the holy name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. Praise God. I welcome each and every one of you here. What we're going to do is we know that it's Mother's Day, so we're going to have a Mother's Day segment um, after I speak. Um, But I do want to say Happy Mother's Day to every lady and just to my wife, my mother, my aunt, to Sister Boyd, to every lady that's out there, we welcome you. And I believe it was God's will, his design for the family unit. And I've always joked, but even in my jokes, there is some truth. So I I just said that uh, and believe that God just put um, Adam out there and left him long enough to realize that you just can't do this by yourself. You are going to need some help. So he created him a woman. So there we have the family unit, and we know from that. So on this Mother's Day, we are thankful and we are grateful for what God has created and what he has made the unit that he has made for us. I do appreciate it, and I do love my wife very much and thankful for all that she has put up with through the years because, as I've said through the years, I'm different, but I'm different just like you. You're different too. And it took uh, someone special to love you just like it takes someone special to love me, and I appreciate that. Okay, I'm going to ask you, um, but one thing that I want to say is I have been studying the book of Revelation um, for some years now and in truth all I've done is just scratch the surface and but I guess like most and that's a broad statement like most people I went in thinking that I had to understand just every image every concept and I put so much pressure on myself that almost in frustration I'm thinking I just I'll, I'll never get this I'll never be able to do this And this is where the Lord directed me. And I just want to share with you for our start where the Lord directed me. And he directed me to this verse that we always quote. And it's Psalms 119 and 11. And the psalmist said it this way, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Now the reason you hide something is to prevent someone from... From finding it. Literally, if you hide it, 
there's someone you don't want to find it. And what I felt in the Lord, this is not a head knowledge that we pick up and read of this. You have to do more than just read this word. If you have just read this word just to read it, I believe you're blessed. But God said through the psalmist, this word have I read enough and meditated and digested it enough that I've hid it in my innermost being. It is in my spirit, and devil, you will not find it there. So when I find myself in a situation that I did not perceive that this word is in me that God can bring back to my remembrance, that if I didn't have it, then I would be subject to sin. But now that I have this word hid in my heart, then when that situation arrives at my doorstep, this word that I've hid in my heart will prevent me from sinning. I've hid this word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And if I hadn't had the word, then I would have had the ability to sin. But now that I've got the sin, and, and now that I've got the word, then that'll keep me from sinning. That's what the psalmist said to do, to hide this, to read it, to meditate on it enough that when sin presents itself to us, that I might not sin against thee. I know we've heard that, but that's what God said to go to me. That's what he said. This is what you do. You read, you meditate, you hide that in you. Now, this is where he said to go next. He said, this is what I said. Revelation 1 and 3, this is what the scripture says. Blessed is he that readeth and they that hears the words of this prophecy and they that keep those things that are written therein, for the time is at hand. It does not say, I was almost rebuked to the Lord. It does not say, blessed is he that readeth and understandeth every image, every concept. God took me back to the same analogy as blessed is he that takes and hides his scripture. That, that when sin comes, I've got the word that I won't hide. He says, take. Your obligation is to read and obey to your fullest ability the concepts that are written in Revelation. This is an ongoing revelation of who our God is. My responsibility is to read this book. And if I will apply this book, then what I do not understand, God's obligation is, I will reveal this revelation to you as it on goes. This is not something that's just going to be dumped in my lap at the first reading. God said, I will reveal myself to you. This is going to be delivered unto my servants. My obligation is to take this book and to read it. That is my part, to listen, to meditate on it. That is a blessing. This book is the only one that comes with a blessing like this. And God said, I am obligated that if you would take it, if you are frustrated, if you have put so much pressure on yourself like as I did, take that pressure off of you. You are just to read it, to understand it. Read what you don't understand, put in God's hands. God said, as you read, as you study, allow God himself to reveal himself, for he will do it. He will not go back on his word. Because just as life, just as we read his word and hide it in our heart, we do not know what life is going to put on our doorstep. But I do know with the word of God hid in my heart, 
what yesterday I could not have faced with the word of God hid in my heart. Today I can face because I've hid that word. And in Revelation, what I do not understand, when I read this and ingrain this in my spirit, what today I can't tell you I don't understand, tomorrow with God's help and the revelation of Jesus Christ, I can say through the anointing of the Holy Ghost, I get this, I understand this. This is God's revelation being unfolded to his servants. It is a promise. So I just said, thank you, God. I just... I just overwhelmed myself thinking that I had to get this. And I've just, he has put such a passion in me to understand this. And I do want to understand it. But I look at it different than which I did. Because this is not something that you can just read. There's way too much in here. But on the other side, it's just not something that you just take and read and forget. This is for the church. It is for his servants. It is not given in a book and God said, good luck. It is for his church and it is for the revelation of who our God is. It is to be revealed unto his church. And that is what I want to talk about. My title today is separated. I want to look, I want to, when I get through, I want you to look at this different than what you did. I'm, I'm not, this is, I want you to go to the 18th chapter, separated. A lot of people, I'm not going to get up here and preach no clothesline message. That is not what this is about. What I want you to see, hopefully with the help of God, is what we are separated from according to the book of Revelation. In Revelation, I want to read in the 18th chapter, verse 4 and 5. This is 17 and 18 is the destruction of Babylon. Now, this is not... Four, uh, 18, 4 and 5, this is not speaking to the church. This is a tribulation period. He is speaking to those unbelievable enough that in the tribulation period that are still caught up in Babylon. And God says this to her. Now, you want to talk of mercy? This is mercy. Pure and simple, this is still God's mercy. 18 and 4, And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that you be not partakers of her sins, that you receive not of her plagues, for her sins have reached unto heaven, and God hath remembered her iniquities. This is the judgment of Babylon. This is, now God will show no mercy to Babylon. I can prove that, no mercy at all. God is saying to the tribulation saints, if you will come out of her, if you will disown her and come out of her, then I will show unto you mercy. That is the only mercy. Literally, throughout the beginning of time, God has told his people, you will have to separate yourself from all that is worldly, from the world system itself. He told Abraham, literally, from the beginning, you leave your homeland, you leave your family, you leave everything that you've known. You just think about that. God told Abraham, leave. Leave your country. Leave your family. Just get out there and leave. In other words, we would know it as separate yourself from them. You have got to separate that. When God called Moses to go to Egypt, he said, you tell the Israelites they are to leave Egypt. And he told the Israelites, do not go back. 
You are to separate from Egypt, and I do not want you to return. And we are, as New Testament Christians, we are commanded to separate ourselves from all that is worldly. We are commanded. It is not a suggestion. We are commanded to separate ourselves from it. The world is commanded. We are commanded to separate ourselves from all that is ungodly, and God tells us to do this. Now, I'm going to leave that alone for a minute. I want to go... Turn, skip back with me to Revelation 8. If there's one scripture, one scripture in the book of Revelation that just literally sobers me to the core, I'm telling you straight up, this is it, without a doubt, that literally alarms me. It's this verse right here. Revelation 8, 1. And when he had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of half an hour. Some may read that and say, big deal. Silence in heaven. Heaven goes silent for a half an hour and go on. But to his servants, do not forget, this book is all about a revelation. And I want to tell you, with the help of the Lord, what this verse means to me. It is a revelation. Now, he tells them, when he had opened the seventh seal, now there was silence in heaven about the space of a half an hour. Okay, I'm going to make a point. In Genesis 7-4, you don't have to turn if you don't want to, 7-4, the Bible tells us that God had told Noah, man's years shall be 120 years. You know it. You take and build, you construct an ark. I'm going to anoint the animals. You take them, put them on the ark, and you take and you build an ark, and while you're building that ark in 120 years, I want you to do something. I want you to preach. The New Testament calls Noah a preacher of righteousness. So during that 120 years, they heard Noah either making noise, pounding on the ark, constructing that ark, which would be their salvation, or... He was preaching. He was telling the people, there's a, a rain coming. The foundations of the deep are going to be broke up. There's going to be a flood coming. You've got to be in the ark to be delivered. 120 years, they heard this. It's coming to pass. Nobody believed him. In fact, Noah just went on day after day after day. It just, you know, it just gets to the point. Noah, why don't you just hush? Genesis 7, 4, read with me. For yet seven days, or for in seven days, I will cause it to rain on the earth, 40 days and 40 nights. For every living substance that I have made, I will destroy off the face of the earth. It's like this. 120 years, there had been noise. Either Noah preaching or the noise of the hammer. But for seven days prior, there was silence. God said, you take I'm going to anoint the animals. You take, I'm going to put them in the ark. You get in the ark. I will shut the door. And then you take and you go in and I'll close the door. And then there's going to be silence. It's just the way God does things. For seven days prior to the first drop, there was silence. 120 years that had no that, that had Noah screaming at them. You better get ready. 
But all they heard for seven days was silence. Now, Joshua, when he goes in, this is how the God operates. And this is one thing that, that we, we, we literally have to teach ourselves. We see things in a concept of time. God does not. He told uh, Joshua, I have given Jericho into your hand before they even started anything. They have been delivered into your hand. In other words, the battles, as far as I see it, is over. They hadn't done nothing. He told Joshua, you march one day, go one time per day for six days, seventh day, go seven times. Other words, for seven days, this is what I want you to do. You march around it. But read with me. Joshua 6, read on the screen if you want. Joshua 6 and 10. And Joshua commanded the people, saying, You shall not shout nor make any noise with your voice, neither any word proceed out of your mouth until the day I bid you shout, then you shall shout. So God had said it this way. For seven days you are commanded to march. You are commanded to shut your mouth. Don't you utter a word. I want you to march, but there will be silence. Now, this is just two applications that God had done. There was silence before there was judgment that, the, that he had did. Now, what alarms me about Revelation 8 and 1 is, is it's bad enough that there's silence in heaven. This has never been done before, and it won't be done again. But what causes there to be silence is what alarms me. That is what really I hate to use the word haunt, but that's the word that really, really alarms me is why does heaven go silent? Something that has never been done before. It is to the point that God is saying, earth, I want you to be quiet before my judgments. But now we see a, re we see a complete reversal. Heaven goes silent. And then we see that God is fixing, because if you read in the scripture, if you read in the scripture, that when the Bible says, and we need to open the seventh seal, the seal that he has is rolled up, the Bible, uh, it translates it as a book, but it's a scroll. It, it's literally as if you would, uh, for simple, if you would just take a sheet of paper and roll it up. The Bible says it was sealed with seven seals. The, the Romans in old days, they would literally seal their wheels with seven seals. In other words, you could look at it like this. If you took a string and tied it around, um, I would look at house plans. I'm so used to building. But if you took something that was rolled up and you would tie a string around it and tie it and then put that string together and seal it with wax, that would be one seal. They sealed it seven times. This is Revelation 8 and 1. This is where God has got to the seventh seal. Now, before the scroll is even opened. But he says, when you go, when you go back, that's where it says in the fifth, fourth and fifth chapter that nobody was even worthy to even look at the scroll, much less open it and read it. And then, and then the, the, the great question is, what was in the scroll? We don't really know. There's speculation. The Bible, the book of life, but we don't really know what was in the scroll. All the Bible says is that nobody was worthy. There's only one person, and we know that as the Lamb of God. 
was he was worthy to look at the scroll. It's just pure speculation. And for the two cents, I put mine in. This book has brought us, literally, in the short time the Bible records that we've been here, it has started as what we know as creation, and it's brought us to the edge of eternity. What I see the scroll containing is the book of life, the Bible, and everything. But from eternity on, as we know it, is a long time. I see the scroll containing from the beginning of eternity the established order of God. Everything. There is a lot going to go on from eternity on. And that's why it says nobody had the authority to look into this scroll but God himself. The one that had the authority that sets that even ordained eternity and the one that made eternity and set the rules and the regulations and the order and the structure of it. That is the way I see it. It's just pure speculation. But the Bible says nobody was worthy. God was worthy. When he got to the seventh seal, beginning to open it up, he opens the seventh seal. Now the scroll is open. Then that's where it starts. Because when you read the Bible, when he opens the seventh seal, the seventh seal opens the seven trumpets. When This is devastation like the world has never seen. The seven seals are devastating within themselves is what has happened on the earth. It opens the seven trumpets. At the end of the seventh trumpet, the seventh trumpet opens the seven vials. In the middle of them is the seven thunders that God told John, do not write this down. It's the only sealed portion that's in the book of Revelation. He told him, do not, do not write this down. This will remain sealed. There again, we do not know what this is. But all of this is contained right here in Revelation 8 and 1. Because he opens it. And now, I believe 8 and 1 is a revelation of his wrath as the world has never seen. And they have looked, and it is a reversal. And I want you to read two uh, Revelation. Let's read, um, let's read, okay, okay, I want to jump. I want to jump to Revelation 8. Let's read in Revelation 8, 2 through 5. And John, this is now. I want you to pay close attention to the wording. This is about the incense. We know the incense. God literally uh, uh, it pertains to the prayers of the people. So he says, Revelation 8 and 2. This is right after he opens the seventh seal and the scroll is open. Now, the scroll is still open. And I saw the seven angels which stood before God, and to them was given the seven trumpets. And another angel, not those of the seven, another complete angel came and stood at the altar, having a golden censer. And there was given unto him much, much incense. It was given unto him that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints. Of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of the saints ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. Now this is in heaven happened. Now look at verse 5. And the angel took the censer and filled it with fire off the altar in heaven and cast it into the earth. 
and there was voices and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake. Now, if you would, just leave verse 5 there. This is my, this is my view of this. I believe as a, revol- as a result of verse 8 that verse 5 where it says, Now, this I know for sure that God would not demand that the incense of the prayers of the saints be cast to earth as just something that you would do, that you would just take the prayers of the saints and cast it to the earth with no regard. In verse 5, where it says, And there were voices. I believe what God is doing, that he says, You want to know what this is about? Then you just listen. It is my belief that God is taken and says, you want to hear what this is about? Then you listen to the voices. God is going to let them hear the voices of the prayers that has brought all this about. Because he just took, he just took the prayers of the saints. The Bible says the prayers of all the saints. That the Bible says the harlot that was found in her the blood of the prophets, the apostles, they've poured out the, the blood of all the saints at the base of the altar. God said, you want to know what this is about? In a role reversal, heaven is going to go silent, but there will be voices on the earth. And he tells the angels, you cast it to the earth. And my heaven is going to go silent, which has never been done before. And you let there be noise on the earth. But before my judgment, before I have said, earth, you go silent and let heaven rejoice. But now, earth is going to know why my judgment of wrath has come. And I believe 8 and 1 is a revelation of wrath that is to come like this world has never seen. When he opens the seventh seal and it starts... And he tells the angel, you take these censers, you fill it with fire off the, off the altar of heaven, and you cast it to the earth. I do, it is of my belief, you do not have to ascribe to it, but I believe them voices, as God is saying, listen, just listen to the prayers of my people. They are why I'm doing this. It is for the blood of the prophets that they, they have prayed to me and said, how long? How long will this go on? And God is answering their prayer. And you can go all the way back to Abel, for God himself said, the prayer, the voice of your, blood, uh, of your brother's blood crieth unto me, what? From the ground. Go all the way back, and God is saying, all the way back to Abel, I have heard. I hadn't forgot. You might think I forgot, but I have not forgot. This is, this is what I believe the half hour of silence is all about. Is God just taken and said, you know what? Truly as remarkable as it is, it's never been done. And God is saying, I will. God said there are angels, there are creatures that never, ever hush in heaven. They praise me as what we would say 24-7, night and day. When you read in Scripture night and day, it is a continuation. It means it never stops. And for God to stop them, 
and just say, listen, listen, this is what I'm doing it for. So he done this, and then he took, and this is, this is the prayers of the saints. This is my point. This is what you're separated from. For years, years, preachers have tried to warn people and tell them, you need to watch what you're doing. Watch where you're going. And people just ignore them and almost act like they're foolish. And it's my philosophy. I'm telling you, the Bible says this is a straight, straight as a gate, narrow as a road, the, the straight gate. I mean, sheep is not made to wander, literally. It's not made to wander. It's my philosophy. If somebody's looking for the line, they've already crossed it because this is a straight and a narrow path. But I'm telling you straight up, this is what you're separated from. God said, you are my beloved. This is what I want to separate you from. It's the wrath that is to come on planet earth. And it is like never been done before. The Bible tells us in Genesis Genesis 11 that there was a man by the name of Nimrod that he took. The Bible says he took, and he says it like this. This is after the flood. God had commanded them to go, to separate, to disperse on the earth. Nimrod, they said, go to, let us build us a city, a tower, whose top may reach into heaven, and let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. Now, he is just saying everything against what God had commanded them to do. God is saying for their own benefit, you need to disperse. You need to separate. You need to separate yourselves. You need to go and spread out. You need to do this. But Nimrod says, no, we will not do that. And God is saying, I have put my bow in the sky as a covenant between me and you. But when you read the story of Nimrod, and the Bible says that they had slime for mortar. Now, if you go back and look at that, that is what Noah used to seal the ark. So what he was doing when he built the Tower of Babel, or they built the tower, he was uh, one mainly in charge. When they built the Tower of Babel, that is what they used. It was for a waterproofing agent. I know you've put your sign in the sky, but we do not trust you. We will seal our brick with slime as a waterproofing agent. We know what you said, but we do not trust you. You said to disperse and go out. We will not. We will stay in this plane. We will build us a home, and we will not go out. The Bible says that he was a mighty hunter before the Lord. This is not a compliment. This is what he hunted literally. When you read of him, he was a mighty hunter and wild beast. But when you read further of that, he hunted the souls of men. He was ruthless. He was not anything. He was against the Lord. You can go back. All pagan religions goes back unto Babel. Literally, him and his wife, they just was just as far out there as you could get. That is why that, that, that people don't realize is just when they, when they want to take and just go back and just flirt, they don't realize what they're flirting with. 
They need to read of the wrath of God. Uh, Christians today, all they hear is grace, grace, grace. And don't get me wrong, I believe in grace 100%. But humanity needs to be told the other side of the story. This is not a scare tactic that we use. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. I mean, it is the same. Uh, there's one um, scripture I want to use that the Bible says in, um, in Exodus, if you want to turn with me, in Exodus 19, the Bible talks about that uh, when the Lord come down, they're getting the Ten Commandments, basically, and God said it like this to uh, Moses. Basically, this is the way I would put it. Moses, you know the children of Israel. This is what I want you to do. This is what he said in 19 and 12. And thou shalt set bounds unto the people round about, saying, Take heed unto yourself that ye not go up to the mountain or touch the border of it. Whoso, excuse me, whosoever touches the mount shall surely be put to death. Now, now I want you to read. Look at 13. Therefore thou shalt not a hand touch it, but he shall surely be stoned or shot through. Whether it be beast or man, it shall not live. When the trumpet soundeth long, they shall come up to the mount. Now, literally, this is Old Testament. What, what is happening is God is going to meet with Moses. Just as when the high priest went in the Holy of Holies, it was literally God said, I will be sanctified of those that come before me. When he went to the mountain, the whole mountain was considered holy. God gave Moses the discretion to set the boundary. Now, what happened was, this is not like you view um, a sporting event where people's at a fence leaning over. God said, if they even touch the border, if they even touch it, look, they're going to be stoned or shot through. Now, this Old Testament analogy needs to be taken very serious because it's not like today we're going to stone you or shot through or shoot through you. But the analogy is still the same. If, if a God-called anointed pastor comes to you and say there needs to be some boundaries set in your life, then the analogy has to be the same. Because listen, what Moses was telling the children of Israel, the boundaries that I set is literally for one purpose, and that is to save your life. Because God has told me, I have the discretion to set the boundaries. Now, it is up to you to recognize that boundary. Because if you even lay a hand on it, you're dead. This is holy. And God says, you can't get to it, even close to it. If you do, you will die. Because now we have people that are so arrogant it says the man of God is not going to tell me. So if Brother Boyd comes to me and says, Kenneth, there's some boundaries you need to establish. And if I say, how dare you? How dare you tell me? Then that is so immature in my spiritual walk. What I have to look at it, and it's not because I have the mic. It's because God has told him that it's literally to the point of saving my life. Life, literally, 
And God is, listen, I'm telling you the truth. It's literally the same. It will cost you your life. We have grace that just postpones it. I'm telling you the truth straight up. It is still in established today. This did not establish that boundary. Did Listen to me. Did not establish doctrine. It did not establish standards. The Bible does that. The boundaries that it had was to save their life. Literally. God said, Moses, you said it where you think it ought to be. And he has the discretion to set the boundary of where he think is God called anointed place needs to be. Because God has put the shepherd over us. And the shepherd knows us. And what you think he don't know, God can spiritually inform him what he needs to know. This is biblical. Because it can literally cost us our life. So it, there is... Uh, just like just like when in the Bible where in one of the points, just like when um, Adam and Eve, when they went, what some people I think do mistakenly, where the Bible says that in Genesis 3, they took where the, um, in Genesis 3 and 5, it said, for God doth know, this is a serpent where she's tempting Eve. For God doth know in the day that ye eat thereof, your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that it was the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree was desired to make one wise, she took uh, a tree took desire to make one wise. Um, she took the tree or the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave unto her husband and with her, and he did eat. Now. In the garden, they was not in a state of good. They was in a state of holy innocence. Actually, in spiritual terms of the Bible, she had to come down to be in a state of good because to know good, they had to know evil because what the enemy was doing was ridiculous. And if... And I'm... I'm trying not to sound like I'm throwing rocks, but I'm saying God put them in a state of holy innocence. So here's the enemy tempting them. They're way up here in this state, and, and the enemy is tempting them. Why don't you come down here, and you will know so much. You will have the knowledge of good and evil, but you're way up here. Why would I want to come way down here? They are in a pure, innocent holy state and they just why would you want to do that and it's just that I don't know and some people say it like well she saw the tree was good for food and it was pleasant and, and to me they act like God had planted a bunch of scrub trees out there and uh, the only tree that was, was pleasant to look for was uh, the tree of knowledge of good and evil but look at look with me in in Genesis 2, 9, the Bible says it like this. This is well before the tempt. In Genesis 2, 9, the Bible says, And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight, good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now, 
I think what people don't understand or maybe get confused over, we have had people, I'm sure you've had people that tell you, I am a good person. I have done good all my life. From a biblical point of view, that does not measure up. From the Bible, we have to have his spirit. And we, and I would say, I would say, to be in a state like Adam and Eve was, I think that will only be accomplished when God gets us to heaven. I know he gives us the Holy Ghost, but it's just a deposit. Now, we are, and the reason I say that, God gives us the Holy Ghost, but we are still, in other words, we still have the ability to sin, even though we have the Holy Ghost. But they, Adam and Eve, was pure and innocent. But when people say, I have been good, to the national carnal mind, that makes sense. But from a biblical point of view, they go down to where the enemy says, you need to know the knowledge of good and evil. And when they say, but I've been good, and to the national, to the natural way of thinking, that makes sense. I've been good. I hadn't done nobody wrong. I've been good all my life. And you try to tell them, being good is not enough. We need the Holy Ghost. We need the Spirit of God in us to help us, to get us out of here. Because if it would have been enough to have been good, then there would have been no reason for God himself to come to planet Earth. Because when they took of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that day they started dying. Now, God came, he died, he truly was our lamb. So that just being good... It's not enough. Now, go back with me to where I started. Revelation 18. This is truly wrath. Verse 7. Excuse me, verse 6. 18.6. Reward her even as she rewarded you. And double unto her, and double unto her, double according her works in the cup which she had filled, which she had filled, filled unto her double. This is actually an Old Testament analogy. God actually did this. You can read of it in Isaiah. But God actually, in the end, God actually repaid Israel double for the sins they had committed. But in the 60th chapter of Isaiah, God doubled the joy back to Israel. He will not to Babylon. He said, reward her double. Even as she was evil to you, reward her double. So then in chapter 18, skip down with me to verse 20. Rejoice over her, thou heaven, and holy apostles and prophets. For God hath avenged you on her. And a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and cast it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence 
shall that great city Babylon be thrown down and shall be found no more at all. Now, this is what God has done. And you want to look and read of the arrogance. This is one I skipped over. I want to go back. 18 and 7. How much she has glorified herself and has lived deliciously. So much torment and sorrow give her. For she has said in her heart, I sit as a queen and am no widow and shall see no sorrow. This is the arrogance of Babylon. She said, I am no widow for the world. The the Bible talks about the kings, how the kings has committed fornication with her. She said, the world power is my husband for I am no widow. And God said, I will not have no mercy on you. I will destroy her. In the last verse, 1824, and in her was found the blood of the prophets and the saints and all that were slain upon the earth. This is what God is going to do to Babylon. This is what God has separated his people from. It is not. It almost irritates me. Really, it does. When people whine and complain about they've got this set of rules they have to follow they don't understand they don't realize what they're flirting with what they they the wrath of god that would make heaven go silent they need to know what they're flirting with and it is it is a vengeance it is a wrath like this world has never seen and it is truly something that God loves his servants enough to separate them from. We do know that when God gave the flood, that he did put his covenant. And one thing that I love, that where we read of the rainbow, that God did give it. He said it was for perpetual generations. And we know that in the book, in Revelation, God said, or we read about it being in the throne. But one thing, in the fifth chapter of Revelation, the Bible talks about the circle being around God's throne, the rainbow. But go to the back. From Revelation 20 on, when you read of the throne, there's no rainbow. God keeps his promises. He has fulfilled his end of the covenant. I got my people with me. I have separated you from my wrath. This, this is what we're separated from. This is what we're separated from. Hallelujah. Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. Just remember, you are separated from the wrath of God. Hallelujah. God bless you.